Frank, 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 I am back. It has been like, I don't know, like a, what, a week since .NET Conf? Two weeks since .NET Conf? I guess we you got look it. totally different. It must have been a life-changing event that you've gone through. You you look you do you look happier. You look a little relieved. Was it was it a good vacation? Uh, going from like ninety degrees weather back to thirty degrees was not great. Uh, <laughs> but I've adjusted. I got like my heat <laughs> heat pants on and you know and things like that. No, it's good. Uh, it was a great holiday. Great to get get away. We pre-recorded a bunch of episodes. I think highly entertaining that the one on. OpenAI came out like on my Monday. It was fun watching. I don't even know. I don't even I don't even understand anything that happened, by the way. It all I know wonderful. is it was ups and downs and all arounds. And I think we're back to where we started, maybe. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you could have just slept through the weekend and then caught up on it all on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something like that. But James, you missed the excitement. You know, it's the journey. And that was quite a journey. We all went through the open AI roller coaster. <laughs> Uh, and it is, yeah. like, I, I, and I think a lot of the things we talked about on the podcast were some of the causes of that roller coaster. So, yeah, great timing on our part. Go, go merge conflict. Nailed it. Uh, so that was pretty pretty entertaining. I think that that episode went out. Yeah, I yeah don't I don't remember much. Uh, it was a really great. Holiday. I didn't even bring a work phone or anything like that. So it was really separated from every everyone. Our our plane was delayed going there, which means I got to watch the keynote for yeah. Donut Conf. And then I was on a plane for 11 hours. So I didn't watch pretty much anything else, but I did catch up on a few things later uh, in general, which was, which was quite great. Uh, and yeah, I played a, you know, I got to help out quite a bit on the keynote and there was just so many people in it. We talked about on the Patreon uh, exclusive feed behind the scenes. If you want to kind of learn more about the behind the scenes of the keynote, I kind of break down some of that stuff and go to patreon.com forward slash merge conflict FM. You can become a patron, put up bonus episodes if you're interested in there. Uh, what did you think overall? You got to watch the keynote uh, <laughs> semi-live later on. Uh, I heard yeah. you slept through everything. Yeah, yeah. As I predicted, I slept right through that keynote. Too early, Microsoft. Sense. Come on, come on. <laughs> We're all lazy developers here. No, it's not even 100% true. It's it's My cat gets me up early, and then 8, 8 a.m. is just a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the best part of these .NET comps, I think, uh, sometimes we can be in our little bubble. And .NET can feel very small. And then all of a sudden, 150 videos get posted to YouTube. And you're like, oh, look at all these things. I totally forgot you can do with the stack that I use to write mobile apps. But look at all these other funny things people are doing with it. And I think that's always the kind of fun revelation of, oh, yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. And yet, here's 10 videos on it. I can't wait to see uh, what everyone's doing. So I had fun because it is. it was a fun reminder. I got to see some friends doing presentations but it was a fun reminder of uh the vastness of the space and all that stuff plus it's just a fun reason to hang out on twitter and cheer along and do all that kind of stuff post screenshots make fun of code compare f sharp against c sharp you know all the classic fun things we do on twitter <laughs> i thought the vibes were high i was like i was yeah. scoping the tags board app that that they had going throughout and the and the Twitter feed and the, even the YouTube feed. I was like, vibes are pretty, pretty good this year. I was feeling net positive overall. So it seems like you had a pretty similar experience then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think we've all kind of like settled into we're 
we've ported our apps over. We're looking, just looking for like, what are, what are the updates? You know, like there's, thank goodness, no like bombshells this year. No, like uh, we're porting .NET to, I don't know, the Mars Rover or something, you know, we all got to port our apps to the Mars Rover. So nothing like crazy like that. So these were all like, all the announcements were pretty cool, pretty chill. Um, a whole a whole new product that had me completely confused but i just i I let the web people talk about that i think we'll get into it a little bit but i mostly sticked with um the maui crowd the performance crowd the language people you know i'm into the runtime and all that kind of stuff i just want to i want to know how fast i can make this thing and (laughs) what improvements are being made to the runtime that's what i'm interested in yeah well let's break down Maybe just the keynote, you know, uh, break it down. Then we can talk a little bit about what we thought about stuff that we've watched. Obviously, we haven't watched all 102 videos or whatever there are. Working all on of it, them. Sir. Working on it, working on it. There's a lot of content. I mean, like I, we talked about in the in the yeah. Patreon episode, there was actually on day three, two tracks. So there was a whole YouTube premiering track throughout the day as well. And there was a blend of community talks and some other Microsoft. There's a lot of talks from a lot of teams. That's the fascinating part that you're talking about with .NET Conf is like, there's just so much, right? And there's a smaller focus events, which is like one day, like eight or nine, 10 talks or whatever, but boom. But there's just like, there's a vastness and just the amount of different topics. Some hard, sometimes it's hard to, to, to dive through all of that, which is why it's great. They're all available on demand. And they were up pretty quick, if not the same day, than the next day, which yeah. is wild in general. So um, first off, yeah. my impressions of the keynote, since I worked on it, Frank, what did you think? <laughs> My production, pretty wild. Oh, the oh, the production was good. I think, like, if we're talking production, I think everything went pretty smoothly. Were there any hiccups from your point of view? I, I think all the demos went pretty smoothly. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, <laughs> they showed off a few new UIs. I, I'm not a web developer, but gosh darn it, they got this feature, James, that just made me so jelly. The the endpoints UI. Do you know that what I'm saying when i say the endpoints ui do i have to get more specific (laughs) endpoint explorer yes thank you sir (laughs) um for years i was a web developer for years i've created many an endpoints in many an asp.net apps and it's one of those uis that like the first time you see you're like why hasn't that been there for the whole time like oh my god i could have used that for the last 10 years where's the endpoint explorer been my whole life it's funny the fun the things we pull out of the out of keynotes but when you ask me like what what was made the biggest impression that stupid endpoint explorer because i always wanted it (laughs) that's awesome no i mean that's good that's good like you know i think that certain certain things certain slides certain demos are going to hit with different people you know what i mean and Yeah. yeah i'm a big fan of uh like dev tunnels and endpoint explorer as well like I've, I've had videos of, on them as they were kind of coming out originally. You know, there's been new features have been added onto it as well. Uh, there was, you know, they, they opened with web, well, they opened with performance. I think Garav and, and Damien talked a lot about performance, the number of features. And then, you know, Safia and Dan went into to web, which they started with APIs. I think APIs are a nice place to start because, like you said, like, oh, you're not a web developer, but you kind of are, right? And like, <laughs> I kind of am. <laughs> kind of, everyone needs, you know, um, APIs for their apps, whether it's a function or app, the API that you're deploying and, 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 and there, which I think is great. And one thing that I also liked was there's 
like new debugging capabilities in Visual Studio that you can like hover over the app or whatever. And it shows you like all the endpoints as well, like as you're running it. Oh. So you can help kind of decipher like what's going on there. And I think that's what Safia demo like kind of showing like, oh, I was trying to find this bug that was kind of yeah. in the code or whatever. And then one of the unit tests that were failing. So I thought that was really neat. But yeah, the endpoint explorer is, is great uh, in general. <laughs> and I think one thing that I thought was really neat was uh, Safia was showing off uh, some of the new C Sharp 12 features, the primary constructors, which we've talked about a lot. Um, and that was a really natural flow of the demos <laughs> as well. I thought that was pretty cool. Like, oh, that's nice. You know what I mean? Uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of mixed feelings on primary constructors, but I'm Are still there... a fan. Who, who's having mixed feelings? You're wrong. They're fine. They're, no. They're, less I'm... typing's better. <laughs> less typing is better. The, the only <laughs> critical feedback that I've seen on the internet, on some of my videos and on Twitter okay. and some comments, okay. is that the primary constructor things are not read only. Yeah, it's weird, huh? Yeah, I actually I had to go into the C sharp 12 talk for this. Um, So um, when you it's funny, because they're different from records, because I think the record ones are read only because they become properties. But the um, the class ones, the primary constructor parameters, they call them parameters. They're very ephemeral. <laughs> you can use them like to initialize things. Oddly enough, and if you think about it, a parameter passed, an argument passed via a parameter to a function, you can overwrite it. You can, if, if an int x comes into your function, you can say x equals 12. Haha, input, I've overridden you. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, by the rules of everything should make sense, they made it so that you can overwrite these parameters. And so, I can see it both ways. Like, designing a language is hard. If you allow it in one place, why wouldn't you allow it in both places? Um, but I do highly recommend uh, the C Sharp 12 talk just for clarifications exactly on how these class-based primary constructor parameter thingamabobs work because there's some subtleties to them. Subtleties I certainly didn't know right away. I thought the class ones were going to act more like the record ones, but they're they're different. They're different, James. (laughs) You really got to look into it. Yeah. Well, and I think if you wanted to create a read-only, you know, you can't do like, if you pass in, x you can't do like this dot x because it's not it's not a it's property not a field. it's not a field it's not a right field, not a property yep so you could for example have a private read only or a public read only capital x and then assign it basically but just like any parameter that you pass into a constructor could modify it so i don't know yeah. that, that's the biggest thing that people seem to be hating on for some reason but i disagree though because um uh, it, it's modifiable, but like you said, you can't do a this dot. So yeah. there are just places where it'd be confusing. And I highly recommend if you do want to modify it, just be clear. Just create a field with the same name and initialize it to the value. Exactly like what you would do in a constructor, except now mm-hmm. you get to do it outside the constructor. I think people are just, because it's outside of the constructor, people think the rules are different. But what you really just kind of got to get into your head is this is all happening inside the constructor, kind of. Just imagine that the yes. constructor is being synthesized for you. And which totally. <laughs> I, I, I agree 100%. You just have to think of it. It's like, it's still a, con- it's a constructor, right? And that's like, yeah. I think because <laughs> when records were introduced, you're like, oh, okay. So like now 
they look similar, but they perform differently, right? And mm-hmm. one says class and or struct, and then one says record. <laughs> so there's that. So um, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I was I was really happy with the API stuff. Obviously, great performance gains. Um, then Dan talked about Blazery stuff as well. So much Blazor server side rendering. Nothing, nothing, nothing is nothing is there. There's no <laughs> JavaScript. There's no WebAssembly. There's there's nothing, Frank. There's nothing in the that browser. That was my anymore. favorite demo that they did, or my favorite punchline. I forgot who was presenting at the time, but they were going through all the developer tabs in the browser. They're like, "Look, no WebAssembly. No, no, uh, no sockets. No, no sockets. No, no JavaScript. No, who needs JavaScript?" <laughs> We're, we're not even using HTML. No, I'm just kidding. They had HTML. Um, it, it was an effective demo because I think even I get confused. You know, I, I wrote Wii, which was also a client slash server hybrid thing. It could go in both modes. And even I would get confused. Like, mm. where, where where's the code running? Is this running on the browser? Is this running on the server? And then you want to make... For SEO reasons, for easy server reasons, you want to make server side rendered stuff. It's it's just nice to get that like, look, there's nothing happening here. This is HTML. This is 1995, everyone. We are just sending mm-hmm. down HTML, and boy, aren't we full circle where everyone's proud to have server side rendering. The world yeah. is a weird place, James. <laughs> it's true. It, it's it's yeah, it's static server rendering, and then there's streaming rendering and then there's they had like yeah. enhanced navigation and form handling so like basically <laughs> they showed a lot of you know you can use these modes inter you know intermix them and then additionally for page interaction you know when you're navigating you're adding something to a bucket or doing something like that you can basically do it so the navigation like doesn't like jump you around you know what i mean so it's it's normal uh, to, to some extent if that makes sense I- well, it's, it's yeah, it's especially hard with these hybrid apps because mm-hmm. you do have a mix. Sometimes you're serving up a page, other times you're uh, a single page page, but in a multi-page app, you know, you're you're layering all these things on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. it gets confusing. But um, I had fun with the um, native AOT of it all because you know, coming from the iOS world, I, I've lived in the AOT world, so it's, I, I always have an interest in seeing what they're doing. And part of the performance talks were just basically getting ASP.NET, and it was fun to see they were working on kind of like the minimal APIs ASP.NET mm. app, and it's it's the old it's the old Xamarin games on iOS, getting it down to five megabytes in a, a 100 millisecond startup time because it doesn't have to run gigabytes of reflection code in the very beginning at booting up. And honestly, I'm I'm watching because you know like uh, SQLite dash net. If uh, if we ever switch to the native AOT world, SQLite does a lot of reflection, mm. and I will have to switch it over to be. Um, well, I, I was curious to see what the team was doing. So part of these conferences is fun because you get to see behind the curtain a little bit and see how they actually solve some of these problems. And it, it's, it's C-sharp code generators and all that stuff. That's how you make the native AOT happy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it was nice for me to see how do the professionals do it. You know, uh, how, how are they working around the same problems we all run into? Uh, ASP.NET is a very reflective application. It has inversion of control everywhere. It's it's always looking up assemblies and doing all that kind of stuff. 
And it's it's kind of confidence boosting to think like, well, if the ASP.NET people can get their ridiculously dynamic object graph to <laughs> compile under native AOT, then I have a fighting yeah. chance of getting my thing working. <laughs> yeah. And I think the native AOT sounds really fascinating because they kind of showed the before and afters and talked about a lot of the new things that were happening just in container spaces as well and being able to, you know, AOT more things than just the command line <laughs> applications, obviously, and the, and the services. But additionally, with the code gen, I think what's what's really cool, too, is there was a whole talk on like system text JSON. And I think that's a great example of like system text JSON does a lot of source generation, a lot of other stuff for you to kind of get you further, because with JSON serialization and deserialization, like you said, there's a lot of reflection that could occur there. Right. But when you're doing, you know, um, a little bit more code gen, then you can get around some of those bits and pieces and things that are happening inside of it, which is which is cool. And obviously. It also helps with performance in in general too. So yeah. <laughs> now, can you answer a question? I um I I sorry, I'm going to sidetrack us a tiny bit just because we were talking about debugging there for a minute a minute ago. Uh, there was a new thing I hadn't played with, and I'm not sure because maybe I don't uh, use Visual Studio all the time. Um, there is a new live object property explorer when you're doing your kind of live running, live XAML editing of apps. And uh, Maddie showed it off. Like you can go look up text box values and you can actually change them dynamically oh, yeah. at runtime. So it's like your it's like your property editor that you would have like in a XAML uh, editor or in a WinForms editor, that kind of normal property sheet. But it's running for the live app <clears throat> like Continuous does. Um, <laughs> So you get a live uh, property editor, <clears throat> just like continuous. And it was nice to see that uh, inside Visual Studio. And I wanted to ask you, when am I going to get it in Visual Studio code, James? It's <laughs> a great question. Well, that's a lightweight code editor. So um, <laughs> there would have to be some additional things built in there. That's a good question. Actually, I'd have to double. I didn't watch the whole What's New in Maui yeah. talk yet. It's on my list to, to watch, uh, funnily enough. However, I do know that that was a feature that was originally in WPF and UWP applications. Yeah. So it seems like they they were able to bring that in, which was great because, you know, previously you would jump around, there'd be the little adornment on top of like a Windows app and you could like navigate to something and would navigate you to the, the thing in the XAML. Um, mm-hmm. However, there was a live visual tree, which would show you the yeah. elements in the thing, but the property editor is, is new. Yes. So that's really cool. They got that working uh, in general because you get to see everything. And then what's cool about that is that, you know, what you see in the XAML is not all the properties, right? You want to actually <laughs> see all the things and tweak all the things. And some of them are kind of hidden what the defaults are. So exposing all that is like pretty rad in general. So that, that's cool that that's in there. I didn't even know that was in yeah. there. So boom, I learned I, something I, new. Yeah, and I have to say it's a it's a great feature. It's why I put it in continuous. Like you you really learn the API much better when you can just uh so you you get your app running and then you can just kind of drill down through the object graph. Uh, they demoed like looking up specific properties and all that stuff. And yeah, sure, directed stuff if you're like trying to narrow down a bug or something. But I highly recommend it just for browsing. Like just get to know those objects, get to know what properties they're they're hanging around with. I I always find getting to know that object graph very valuable. And there's no better way to learn that object graph than 
having it in memory <laughs> and accessible and seeing real values in it. So oh, nice. really nice feature. It's, it's nice that Maui has gotten it. Yeah, it's cool. And and Maddie in the keynote also showed off, obviously, the VS Code integration, which you talked about a little mm -hmm. bit as well, and demoed uh, the same application, this uh, eShop application, this uh, Northern <laughs> Mountains application that I played a role in as well. I played small roles into the greater teams as well, which was, <laughs> I had a lot of inside baseball, basically, uh, in it. But uh, Maddie also talked quite a bit about that, which is uh, really great to see, too, and kind of see you know, the app running everywhere and doing all the things, uh, which was, it was great. It was nice. Uh, all the demo apps were really nice uh, this time through. Uh, David Ortnow in the Maui one was also demoing a store app. Um, all very well produced and everything. N no janky apps on the screen or anything like that. And it was fun. Um, sorry, I meant to talk about how nice the app is because I wanted to give you compliments there. <laughs> but I'm already going to side tension into it was nice to see a focus on um, some desktop app kind of stuff like drag and drop keyboard bindings mm -hmm. menus oh, menus we're all making menus again <laughs> uh so it was a it was nice to see a focus on desktopy stuff in dotnet 8 for the maui stuff yeah. um oh and because a lot of that translates over to the ipad I, i've really learned that in the ios world um, Mac Catalyst, if nothing else, code your app against a Mac Catalyst because you're just going to make a, a superior iPad app. You're just going to make a mm. really good iPad app that works well with the keyboard and all that stuff. Yeah, I I almost like start with Mac Catalyst now because like if you make a really good Catalyst app, you'll get a decent iPad app in the end. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. And yeah, I think that's something that they don't talk about enough, but they kind of made a big point of too, not only in the, the keynote in the session later about those new features. Cause when you look at the new features, yeah, I mean, they're, the idea was more on performance, stability, things like that. But you know, there was a lot of work put into the keyboard for the soft input, for example, which is always a pain mm -hmm. behind uh, <laughs> a lot of work, just going into some of the, you know, web view stuff, some of the grid stuff, but then yeah, the, the desktop improvements, a lot of gesture recognizer, which yeah. is a lot of actually yeah. desktop stuff. Let's be honest, like, you know, adding, <laughs> no. you know, all the pointer gestures and pointer, pointer press, pointer, yeah. pointer. Yeah, there's a pointer. It's yeah. not tap, it's pointer. Not tap, That's pointer. how you know it's desktop. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all the different drag events and like you said, all this other stuff. So that was, yeah, really nice to see, basically. So that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure these were pre-announced, but like I said, I, I can't keep up with everything. So it's just nice to get it all wrapped up into one place. Or were those unannounced? Were those new hot off the press? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I actually didn't know about the drag and drop uh, oh. stuff at all. And the mm -hmm. keyboard accelerators, which are the sh keyboard shortcuts, those were announced before, but the API changed completely. And I just okay. put out a video on my, my YouTube just about it, which was I'm glad I waited because... Uh, the API changed completely uh, on it and it's much better now. So you can add like multiple keyboard accelerators and all this other stuff. And it's pretty nice. It was a little bit more string parsey before. Now it's like, oh, okay, like oh. you can specify control or windows or what, you know, home or whatever, like the, the, the pre key. So you can do a control N. Yeah. So you just say like, yeah. here's the key. And then you can do like, you know, con you know, whatever. So I think that's pretty cool. It is tricky from an app developer's point of view. Like, as a cross-platform app developer, you would love to see, like, say, uh, oh, Control-C is always copy. But no, on Mac, it's Command-C. But Command translates to the Windows key on a Windows mm -hmm. computer. So you really have to say that stupid key binding twice. Like, 
Yeah. Yes, it would be nice if we were in a pure write your code only one way and it worked perfectly across every operating system, but that's just mean to your users. Like there are different key bindings between Mac and Windows. And yeah. although like the API definitely allows you to use the same one, they made it very easy to say, like, you know, here's the here's the Mac version, here's the Windows version, so you can do all that stuff correctly. I do have to yell at David a tiny bit. His icon on the menu was the wrong color. Oh. But I, I will reach out to him in private <laughs> DMs and not make not make an ass of myself. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, I it was, like that. It's funny, like um, Mac apps, you just don't put it. I know it's a thing in Windows. You put an icon on all your menus. You just don't do it on Mac. We, we, we don't need the icons there, you know. <laughs> and then he put the icon there and it was the wrong color. I'm like, David, David. Oh, come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, definitely excited about just the different items that can't came out. There's small things. I think for, for me, at least in the Dun and Maui world, there's a lot of things that are still evolving with like the, 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 the visual studio code support. And for this, you know, I think the one thing that's nice is the, uh, ability of things. So my hope now is that as new features are rolling out, if you just want to like opt in to kind of nightly builds or whatever, mm. you can try out new features as they're going. And I think that actually to me is we talked about it before, but to me, that's the biggest improvement, I think, in the flow, because, you know, I think if you're a Xamarin Forms developer, I know I didn't talk about this in the, the keynote part, but I, I might have mentioned it in, in the session, but it's definitely in the blog post and, and in the wiki and, and, and docs and things. But to me, if I, as I was a Xamarin Forms developer for a very long time, you know, I got to, you know, for all intents of when you install a NuGet, you're pinning a version, right? So you're saying, I want to install this version. This is my version I want. And when Don and Maui came out, it was this workload concept. And it was like the first one, right? And I think there's a few other small workloads that are in there, but it's like a chunky, it's multiple yeah. workloads. It's a lot of workloads. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> and what it means is that when you install a specific version of .NET, and any of the service releases, that's when you're getting a specific version of .NET MAUI. And which means if you want a preview version of those or something else, you've, you have to end, now you can't really, it's hard to do, right? It just it's hard, doesn't really, yeah. it's hard to do. So now for all intents and purposes, all you have to do is add a NuGet feed, which <laughs> is their nightly build NuGet feed. And then you can just say, give me the latest version or you can pin a specific version to it, whatever you want to do. Right. And you mm -hmm. can, so you could do, you know, 8.0 dot star and it would just always give you the most recent one or whatever, you know what I mean? Or, or you could you know, say, always give me the alpha or whatever, dash star or whatever, or a specific version, you can pin it, which I think is nice, especially for CI CD scenarios when you're like, oh, yeah. we've tested against this version. I'm good for a bit X, Y, Z, um, because you may want to, you know, change and getting like service releases for other stuff, but you could always roll, mm -hmm. you can roll back easier now, which I think is one nice thing in general to think about. Is the plan um, to stick with that uh, for the long, long time future? Because just from my perspective, I would pin it just because I like to pin things and, hmm. you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of person, <laughs> you know, if it's working for me, I'll, I'll just leave it alone. Um, so I feel like I'm just going to start pinning all my things. Um, but, uh, is, is that the, uh, is that the guidance? Is that the recommendation or is the recommendation to just kind of stick with, uh, what the runtime's doing? Do you think? Good question. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, when you look at what is in the box today, when you create file new, uh, it doesn't assign nope. a Maui version. It just uses like the, whatever the worklet, it'll drop it down for you automatically. So my assumption here is that that's sort of the default recommendation yeah. out of the box. You know what right. I mean? Um, but I could be wrong. You know what I mean? Could be I got wrong. a feeling a lot of people are going to be pinning <laughs> to a new yeah. feed because we, we've been wanting that. We've been wanting kind of versions that are easier to control with workloads. I, I, yeah. I get myself confused too. So I, I think it'll just, just for peace of mind, it'll yeah. be nice to force it. And and you can, again, you, the nice thing is that's if you, if you want the nightly, if you don't want the nightly and you're like, Hey, the current version <laughs> that were released 12 days ago and we're recording this, you know, they're 14 yeah. <laughs> now is 8.03. So you could pin 8.03 today and say, okay, this is shipping bits. And then you know, 8.04 or 8. whatever might come out and you can say, okay, I can change that if I want, I can reassign it X, Y, Z, but I'm like, okay, now I, I know I'm good to this version, right? Cause they're all out on NuGet for all that are all out there. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Excellent. Um, can I, can I tell you about my other favorite part of the, <laughs> I haven't watched all the videos cause I, okay. I'm very selective in the beginning. Can I, can I tell Okay. Two things. Go ahead. One I don't think Go is going to happen. The other one I'm actually excited for. Um, as a performance freak, uh, it, it's nice to see that all the vector math is really nice. In .NET 7 and 8, they have a 64-bit vector class, which works on our pathetic little ARM processors, <laughs> the tiny little Wii processors. They can handle it, but some of them can even handle the Vector 512. There was a really good uh, vector intrinsic CPU performance talk and all this kind of stuff. And I found it enlightening because I'd gotten very confused in what was supported in which versions of .NET mm. to the point where even though I am p performance obsessed, I would never use any of the system numerics vector classes because honestly, I didn't know what worked in what situations mm. and all that stuff. And I found that the talk was really good for outlining what is supported under what circumstances. And they walk you through um, perhaps... Maybe the code example was a little too complicated. I didn't really like how it turned out, but they showed you how to use the APIs and all this stuff and gave some guidance on it. And honestly, I just don't think that there is enough guidance on how to use these things. So it was really nice to just have a talk on it. Now, is a lot of that work, you know, being done? I mean, obviously not for like, you know, for math and for graphics and things, but also for like the AI work and ML work. Oh, Are yeah. those things applicable, basically? And that's why I think it's evolving. 100 million percent. In fact, the word tensor came up there. And when you see the word mm -hmm. tensor, you know, that's AI. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the this is runtime stuff. So this isn't even Maui. This is kind of like cross-platform deep down in the thing, uh, how it actually emits code for the processors. I, I don't know if all this applies to Mono as well as native AOT and .NET. It, it's all a little bit, tiny bit confusing there. But uh, what it really means is that you can write uh, high-performance code that's doing high-performance mathy stuff without just crossing your fingers and hoping that the compiler is going to make smart decisions. You can hmm. force the compiler <laughs> to make smart decisions by writing code that, you know, says, you know, use use the biggest integer arithmetic unit you've got, sucker. I, I, need, to, I need to get this tensor computing. I, I've got some AI questions to ask. Um <laughs> 
I, so there, there is no like official high performance um, tensor library, um, but they did mention that they had rewritten most of system numerics to take advantage of even their own new APIs. Oh. Like they, they plumbed out a new, <laughs> a new low level API and then rewrote the high level API on top of it. Cause I think they said like some of that code was like old XNA stuff, you know, like some super oh, wow. stuff. So they went back and rewrote it using the actual primitives. Uh, they did mention, like I said, a tensor thing. I, there are plenty of AI libraries for uh, .NET. We've covered a few of them on here. But it would still not be nice to get it really baked into the runtime. Like have the um, .NET runtime performance freaks really <laughs> applying all their knowledge to making sure we have a very fast uh, numerical library for .NET. We have lots of numerical libraries, but having one with Microsoft workhorses <laughs> making it super fast would be really good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, so much, right, that even this specifically was brought up in the announcement blog for .NET 8.2, right, that Garab mm -hmm. put out to about the vectors. You know, he says in this, so .NET 8 comes with thousands of performance improvements across the stack. And when he says uh, improvements across the stack, each of those are linked to different things. They go to different blogs, <laughs> yeah. right? Because there are blogs for just like .NET 8. There's one for ASP.NET Core. There's one for .NET MAUI. There's one for like ARM64 improvements. So there's a new code generator called Dynamic Profile Guarded Optimizations, PGO. That optimized your code based on real world usage is enabled by default. That's pretty yeah. awesome and can improve the performance of your apps up to 20%. The AVX 512 instruction set, which I mean, that's in an announcement. I mean, obviously, this is important. <laughs> it's in there, which I have no idea what this means. It says, which is now supported, enables you to perform parallel operations on 512 bit vectors of data, meaning you can yeah. process much more data in less time. That's what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Um, not done, almost done. It says the primitive types, numerical and beyond, now implement a new formatable and parsable interface, which enable them to directly format and parse as UTF-8 without any transcoding overhead. That oh, well, that's for the web great. people. That's for those server people. I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to do some tensors over here, people. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're dealing with UTF-8. That's a whole different thing. Uh, but that makes sense. Like uh, decoding UTF-8. It's a big data processing task you got to do. A web server does a lot of it. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. And I'm still impressed, you know, when they talk about API performance, that's the, the, the crazy chart you see all the time with like the minimal APIs and the whatever the JSON scenarios and the Fortune scenarios. Um, but, you know, the charts that they showed were, you know, seven over eight, right? So here's or eight yeah. over seven, which is mm -hmm. the JSON nearly hitting a million um, requests per second. Yeah. And then um, um, 20, that's an 18% improvement and 24% improvement of the Fortunes mm -hmm. for whatever. Fortins, Fortins, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, which which is almost at 325,000 requests per second, which is just mind boggling, right? You know, and there yeah. are teams that are using this, you know, across, you know, like Microsoft, like Bing and stuff like that. They're, you know, all these graph, you know, Microsoft graph and all this other well, stuff that are using these yeah. craziness behind the scenes. And if you're a weirdo like me, there were a lot of little performance tips. Like um, I, I totally get span. I'm, I'm a span fan. But man, reference structs and reference return values, they're, they're weird. I write compilers. I totally get reference semantics, but they're a little funny in C Sharp. And it's neat what clues you can give to uh, the compiler, like um, argument range exception. 
you know, we, we've all done it. If I is less than zero, throw argument out of range, exception, that thing. Um, but there's also a bunch of static methods on it. Argument out of range, exception, dot, throw, if greater than. Uh, and those aren't just convenience. Those are actually pretty big triggers to the JIT, to the mm. thing doing the low-level compiling. It takes those seriously. It knows those. It says, oh, I'm declaring that this value can never be greater than that other value. Therefore, I can make these performance optimizations. And it didn't occur to me. I always thought of them as just silly little convenience functions. And now you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through all my code and actually obey all those little green squigglies that tell me, you know, there's a better way to do this. I'm going to be like, yeah, 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 do it the better way. So uh, all all you have to do is tell me it's going to be a little bit faster. And yeah, yeah, fine. I'll change the code. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's tons. I mean, there's a whole hour talk on just performance and there's other stuff. And that's just on the main performance. Sorry to keep mentioning it. (laughs) No, it's good. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Um, I also think in general. So back to the keynote, um, mm-hmm. uh, Maria had a great AI section, talked about some big announcements as well. I, I'm not in, in the AI space, but I think it was like, um, what was the announcements? There was some I, like. I, I, I can't even tell you exactly. Or then they showed off integrating the chat APIs into your apps and things like mm. that. Um, I, I, I haven't felt, I, I haven't exactly decided how I'm going to integrate things like that. Um, so a little ahead of my time yet. I don't have any real strong opinions on adding chat UIs to apps, but if you're running like a store or something, it's pretty yeah. darned obvious rather have an AI responding than a human. So <laughs> yeah, if I was running like a proper store, just as that first line customer service, oh my God. Yeah. I would totally integrate all this stuff. Well, I think what was there was a few cool things about it. I think that what Maria talked about is like, hey, like, you know, AI moves so fast that while there is new stuff that is better in .NET 8, like there's been stuff all throughout the last year, two years bring into AI. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that there was a lot of work in semantic kernel that's obviously happened a lot that she showed off. But then also there was some new announcement around Milvis and Quadrant, which I have no idea what those are, but those seem like external libraries that are cool, like open API stuff or open AI stuff. But then additionally, I think what was probably the neatest part to me was learning about how the Bing chat and also Copilot use .NET. Like they're powered by .NET. And like, that was (laughs) pretty cool in my opinion. I I don't know. You know, a lot of people that I hear sometimes, I hear on the internet sometimes people (laughs) like, Nobody at Microsoft uses .NETs. Like, that's totally not true. You know what I mean? Just like, there's tons of case studies on the .NET website. But then additionally, like, some of those, you know, sometimes Wait a minute. public. Wait, wait. Can, can I just... What, 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 what? Anyone who says that, do you think that they're running code in C++ over there? They're not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> of course they're running things in .NET. No, we're not going to... No, we're writing in it. They're writing it in Pascal. You know, yeah. that's the language of the future. Basic. Everything's written in basic. I mean, I'm a big, <laughs> you know, basic person. My star, myself. Prologue. So. The, yeah, Windows was written in Prologue. <laughs> I, I, you know, Pascal's great. I prefer Turbo Pascal personally, but that's just me. Fair um, enough. Yeah, Delphi over here. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're not just writing in, in pure assembly, then. Uh, <laughs> Yes, everyone, everyone internally, like, yeah, sometimes a React Native app will pop out of the company. 
but I tell you, like, I don't know. I haven't worked there in many years. You, you know better, but I'm going to speak as someone outside the company. Yeah, everyone there writes C sharp .NET code. That's just like that. Not everyone. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, okay, so the last bit and piece was Cloud Native. Um, you know, there's a lot happening at .NET Conf. If we're kind of oddly following some sort of tangent of the keynote here. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> there was we talked about a lot of improvements with native AOT. Fowler showed off a cool mm -hmm. native AOT demo. A lot of container optimizations that have gone into it uh, in general. So lots of container stuff, lots of work that it went into like resiliency and open telemetry and all these other things in there. Yeah. Now, Frank and I aren't web developers, although we are web developers because everybody's <laughs> a web developer at some point um, in general. But they announced a new um cloud ready stack for building observable production ready distributed applications, aka cloud native applications with .NET. It's called .NET Aspire. And it's a cool icon. I'm very, I think it's a great icon uh, in general. It's like little triangles uh, in general, which is cool. But in the world of building cloud native apps, there's often, and I have to kind of say this for Frank, because Frank's trying to tell, I have to kind of try to describe what .NET Aspire is. So What's in general, the web? <laughs> The, the hook here is that normally there's a lot of services that cloud native apps consume, a lot of databases, messaging, caching layers. And in the world today, you got to go off, figure out like, what package do I need? How do I configure it? You know, is it uniformity? Is it, does they're all going to like connect? How do I make this component or this um, uh, container talk to this? How do you orchestrate them together? How do I get all the metrics and all the things, all the lining, communicating together into this world? How do I get the service discovery bits and pieces in it in general? So what Donet Aspire attempts to do is say, hey, listen, what we'll do is give you an opinionated stack of NuGa packages, basically, to help you create these applications that need orchestration, um, for example, like running, connecting multiple projects with multiple dependencies together components. So you can add in services like Redis or Postgres or SQL or something like that. And then tooling, which kind of brings it all together, um, through visual studio or the CLI to help you basically give you a great tooling experience to make this all happen. So what this means is that you get, um, a streamlined process of creating these cloud native distributed apps. So you get things such as the service discovery. So you can just easily give things like a name, like cache, for example. And when it registers the Redis cache, you just have to say cache and that, that's it. It's just like keyed. It's basically keyed in general. Um, you get like service defaults, you get health uh, checks, you get telemetry out of the box and all these different things. But then what's really cool is that you get a dashboard that brings it all together. So you get all these metrics and telemetry and all these things all together in general. And I think if anyone followed Project Tie, which was really early on several, several years ago, um, I would say that this would be like, you know, to me, kind of like complete evolution, but even talking to a lot of people, getting that feedback for them in general. So when you're thinking about it, it's like easier ways of adding these components and some things are Azure specific, but then some things are completely not Azure specific at all. In fact, that's the whole demo that you saw of eShop. There was not one Azure part to it in general. Like when you go to github.com forward slash dot net forward slash eShop, there's not any Azure bits. There's actually a whole separate repo that is eShop mm -hmm. on Azure because the whole idea is that Aspire 
gives you those components. So the components that are built in out of the box are things such as Postgres, RabbitMQ, uh, Redis, SQL Server, um, with any of these with or without um, uh, entity framework. And then on top of that, there's Azure specific components like Blob Storage, Cosmos, Key Vault, Service Bus, Key Storage Queues. And the idea is that other cloud providers like AWS or uh, community members would add more components or like third parties can integrate these in. And the whole idea is that it makes it really easy. So you can just like type Aspire dot and then it'll show you all of the Aspire packages. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's a search around. Oh, is it, is it <laughs> this Redis one or this Redis one? No, it's, it's the one, you know what I mean? And then when you want to add Redis, you just say dot add Redis container and then give it a name of cache. And it just like does it all for you automatically. Um, simplifying it somewhat, but for all intents and purposes, it's kind of what you do. Um, and you can even add Aspire orchestration <laughs> to an existing application. So you can right click on the project in Visual Studio and say, you know, configure Aspire into this, which is really, really nice. You don't have to even do file new. But what I think is cool is you get that developer dashboard, like I said, that gives you the containers, executables, logs, uh, metrics, and all these different components. And I think during the demo, they kind of talk through the network calls and what's happening and when failures are happening. So you don't have to go build that yourself, um, which I think is pretty awesome. And they even showed how to add it to an existing application there. So that's my high level, I would say, in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm talking about. And so go. Yeah, um, I, I have to admit, I was a tiny bit confused by it because from my perspective, um, ASP.NET was already very componentized. Um, they they did the whole IOC thing where you're always registering services when the app starts up. You register some databases. Hopefully they work and <laughs> things like yeah. that working. So they've already worked over the years. I think I mentioned it to you. I'm like, I feel like we've been working on this for the last 10 years because uh, it's, it's ever since MVC, it's been very componentized. It's always been service-based and all that kind of stuff. But I guess what I'm hearing is they're trying to raise the abstraction level a little bit higher, whereas uh, in ASP. Components were for building up that one server. This sounds like it's trying to be a little bit more like uh, instead of just one computer, multiple computers. I need to look into it. But from my ears, it's sounding like a Docker Compose kind of thing. Like, let me set up multiple services all at once, not just this one service that I'm working on. So hopefully it would help with the communications. I'm assuming the discoverability is I got to bring everything back to Apple terms. So it's like some kind of bonjour thing where you can actually broadcast mm-hmm. here are the services that uh, this machine or this virtual machine actually uh, produce and consume. And then it weaves all that stuff together. Um, I'm yes. going to have to look into this puppy because that's about as far as my understanding goes. <laughs> well, one of the cool parts to the service discovery that I think it really simplifies is that if you are in a microservice, you know, cloud native type of allocation, you also often have like multiple services. So like in a shop, you might have a front end, which is a service itself. It's a container. And then you have a catalog service and a basket service. So what you can do is you kind of have this app host project that is like registering everything. So it's like, here's all this stuff that's kind of like plays in the middle. So this middle project kind of is referenced by everyone and kind of like can figure it out. But what I think is cool about this is for service discovery, what you end up doing is, is it's um, service discovery by reference. Hmm. So what that means is that you add the project as a reference and then you say builder.add project and you'll say catalog service and then you give it a name of catalog. And then 
in your in your project where you want to consume and connect to that, you just say dot add HTTP client, and then you give it you know HTTP colon slash slash basket, and then that's the name mm-hmm. for it basically. So you can easily go and find that, and then you can even have like a dashboard dot basket or whatever it is X Y Z, and go mm-hmm. connect to those things. So that makes it really really easy to connect to those different services that are out there. And they kind of do that and streamline the process for those other components. So when you're adding Redis, it's just like add Redis and then mm-hmm. give it a name and then you can go, okay, go find the Redis and it's named cache, right? Or Redis or whatever yeah. you want to call it and, and kind of go from there. So that's kind of cool. So that does make it very, very easy, but it gives you that stuff by default. So you get health checks by default, you get telemetry by default, you get all this stuff by default, basically when you're yeah. creating this and then orchestrating it all together. So we're just kind of this cool. one. I, I feel like we definitely have to do a follow up episode on this one. But I honestly, I just have to give it a test drive because inevitably in my life, mm. I love to do things the hard manual way, you know, yeah. give me a thousand page JSON configuration file and I'm happy. No, it's not true. Mm. At all. But well, um, I, I would have to set up like in my head, I, I have, yeah, uh, when I make a web app, I have three or four services that I pretty much always spin up. Mm. And it would be nice to see just how small of an Aspire app I could make those and yeah. uh, see how it does. Um, I got to tell you, I'm not 100% sold, but I think we should totally do a follow up. Uh, and so I can get my feet hands dirty feet and hands dirty both and of dirty them yeah. just fall right into that mud uh, just all into <laughs> what we really need to have is either glenn or fowler on the pod <laughs> i think because they're the ones that only demoed it but you know i got to be in you know behind the scenes and a lot of engineering calls and things like that and and understand it a lot more and and again i'm not a cloud native developer i can talk some of the lingo a little bit more <laughs> but i'm not doing containers and kubernetes and all this stuff every day but there are people that are right yeah my hope yeah. here is that for me as a developer that wants to kind of go into a cloud native route or understand microservices my hope looking at aspire is that it simplifies it for me but also makes it so it is extensible for building really, really large cloud native applications. I think that's the hard part. Like for me, when you jump into cloud native or microservice, like there's a lot of different things that are important in that space, like resiliency and observability and these things. But when I just talk about like just the connections and this and all these containers, Mm -hmm. like I want to make it easier for me to understand that and have that dashboard and kind of get it a little bit more. And I'm hoping that it helps me get into that world or anyone into that world easier. But as my app grows and scales, you know, it grows and scales with me. And I think that's their focus. I think it it, it was smart of them to put that dashboard in because that has been a complaint of mine about ASP.NET forever. Like you can spin up your own server very fast and all that, but they never give you that admin server, you know, that a few other libraries would give you. Just give me a backend server where I can like configure things and do things and monitor things, check for errors and that kind of stuff. And I feel like ASP.NET has missed that for basically its entire life. So it's fun to see them take this kind of UI first thing, like, okay, we're going to give you a dashboard and we're going to connect all these things to it. <laughs> and so it's, it's it's good that they're starting from that perspective. I think that's at least the right direction to attack it from. Yeah. And I also thought, I mean, you watch the keynote, I think it's also really cute because like I was part of the keynote, obviously, but like one there's a lot of hidden Easter eggs. So like in, okay. <laughs> in the very beginning, if you go back, like I know all the Easter eggs. So, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. so 
there and it honestly i've reviewed the keynote so many times that I miss, some of the, <laughs> I miss some of the i miss some of the the hidden easter eggs even early on because i wasn't in person for the, the recording stuff of it but um one is that in, in the early slide where they show the reference architecture for um the eShop, there's actually a little aspire icon like in it uh-huh right. gotcha um yeah. so there's a little, little one and, and if clever eyes like, oh what's that you know what i mean and a lot of the projects, it was there too, but no one really you paid attention to it or knew what it was. <laughs> uh, and then additionally, there was a lot of um, wordplay with the word aspire, like like in the beginning of the cloud native things. Like I think Damien was like, we aspire to make .NET the best cloud native stack for blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So that yeah. was cute. But then additionally, I don't know how many times <laughs> you saw it, but Mr. Scott Hunter made an special appearances in the background of uh, he made an in-person one and when they're talking about aspire he just kind of showed up and they're like cool thanks random guy or whatever <laughs> but then if yeah. you watch early on like hunter is just kind of it's kind of blurry background right because the production was so good but <laughs> you kind of see him like he's like kind of like uh, going he's like looking like peering from the the background and doing this stuff so and i saw <laughs> a lot of comments on twitter but it was really entertaining to kind of see those hidden Easter eggs kind of throughout. There's a lot more that, yeah, we'll go into, but like, you know, there's pretty, some pretty funny stuff. Yeah. Well, there were some obvious ones too. I think um, David Ortnow had all his drag and drop icons were like famous Microsofties. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad everyone had a good sense of humor with all their yeah. demos this year and kept it light and fun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll uh, see. We'll, we'll see about this Aspire. I'll give it a shot. We'll, yeah. we'll see if it, changes me i mean i have to admit like it, i wish i wish it was the 90s and i could just put up a web server but man websites take eight thousand services to run these days so <laughs> i i get it wanting to orchestrate it all under no. um a new hub or whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um all right well i think that might do it for this week's podcast. Let us know what you think of Donna Conf. I need to go watch all the videos. There's a, there is an entire Aspire talk, so you can go watch that. I think it's mm-hmm. what's it called? It's called like I don't know. Some of, it's with Glenn and Fowler, so you can go find it. It's it's on there. Um, go find it. Go do some stuff. Let us know what you thought of the conference in general. <laughs> and any favorite sessions? Uh, favorite sessions? Let us know. Go to MergeConflict.fm uh, and there's a contact button right into the show. Uh, if you want to see other topics, let us know as well. We'll totally break it down. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment um, in general. We'd love that. And tell some friends about it. If you like this podcast <laughs> at all, it really helps out. And if you want more of us, you can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at Merge Conflict FM. And you can also follow us on Patreon. If you want to become a patron, give us five bucks a month or $2 a month or I don't know, $1 a month, whatever it is. I don't know it's some low. Uh, you can get bonus uh, <laughs> episodes and all the episodes early. But that is going to do it for this week's Merch Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for watching and listening. Peace. Peace.